All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got a guy named Daniel Carter. And Daniel lives actually only a couple hours from me, which means I hope I get to hunt with him this fall secretly. Let's not tell him that. Anyways, I'm pretty pumped about this episode because waterfowl hunting is one of my favorite pastimes in the outdoors. And he has got it down. I mean, where they're at in in Oklahoma, it sounds like they are just getting crazy numbers in their migration. And it sucks because here I am only a few hours away. And the migration here, the numbers here in the fall just aren't that good. But as soon as I go like an hour and a half in almost any direction, the birds just multiply and there's so many more. And so it was good to talk to him and hear about the success that he's been having also, the guy's a storm chaser. What? Like, how many people are into storm chasing? Probably that, not that many. But this guy uses the information that he is learning in school to figure out how to better be a waterfowl hunter as well. We're going to dive into all of that here shortly. I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's get started. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got Daniel Carter. And Daniel reached out to me from social media. Um, along with a bunch of my other guests so far, it's been really cool. And I've enjoyed talking with people, um, like him just kind of on a whim, but first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm pumped. And it's cool when I can hop on a call with someone who's kind of close. I mean, you're only a couple hours from me and my wife and I keep joking that I need to like get a get together set up to where we can all like hang out, have a game feast or something like that, do some fishing or a big hunt. And, uh, there's a lot of people pretty local that have been on the show or within a state or two. And I think we could make it happen pretty easily. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Um, so why don't you start out by just sharing with the, the audience as well as myself, cause I don't know you very well. Um, what you do, uh, kind of how you got into the outdoors and that type of thing. Um, yeah, my name is uh, Daniel Carter. I'm originally from a little town in North Carolina called Zebulon. Um, I grew up hunting because of my dad. Uh, my dad got me into it from a very, very early age. Um, it was something that I've always loved doing. Um, and being able to pursue a dream uh, in, in the hunting industry is something that I've always wanted to do. Um, so I'm just trying to do that the best I can. That's awesome. And before we before we started recording, you had mentioned that you're doing meteorology there in Oklahoma. Yeah, I uh, I am at the University of Oklahoma, which is the number one meteorology school in the country, um, specifically in severe weather. Um, so I am studying that right now. I'm a sophomore, uh, and absolutely loving every minute of it. Um, my two dreams have been hunting industry and being a weatherman. Um, it's definitely something that, that I see myself doing for the rest of my life. That's awesome. So are you like, what does that look like? Are you going to try to pair that and figure out how weather affects the migration and how to intercept birds and hopefully yes. not get sucked up in a tornado in the process? Yeah. Yes, actually. So I actually have an internship next summer um, with the Oklahoma Wildlife Department. 
Uh, I just actually got like a confirmation email about it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, super, super excited for it next summer. I want to focus on how weather is affecting the migration of ducks across the country um, because I know there's a lot of debates about like how heated ponds and stuff like this up north are keeping ducks up there when they don't need to be up there. They need to travel down so they can have their eggs and really flourish. Um, so I really want to go through how the weather is affecting these uh the waterfowl uh, coming down. So I think that'll be something I can uh, do next summer. So I'm excited for that. That is so cool. Like to, to figure out two, two passions of yours, pair them together and to benefit hunters as a whole. I mean, like all across the country, people are going to benefit from the information you guys gather and try to figure out if, if there's a stunted migration, like a lot of people recently have been like the past three years, man, the birds aren't moving. They're not moving. And I mean, I've seen it like going up to Wisconsin in the winter. I see ponds still loaded with birds in December, but I also remember growing up, we'd see that still, you know, there's some spots that just have local birds that will never leave. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'm hoping this year to, uh, to start a little weekly thing that I'm going to start posting, uh, kind of doing like a weekly waterfowl report, um, using those cold fronts that are coming through or the occluded fronts to really like show how migration is going to push these birds to help hunters out across the country. That is so cool. We, my, my buddy Brad and I, we attended a waterfowl seminar put on by the Missouri department of conservation last year. And they actually talked a lot about that. They had a whole book that they gave us and they're like, Hey, we're going to show you based on the last five years of data where the birds were moving, what the peak activity time was, what the peak migration dates were for each like public major public land use area. And I was like, man, they've got like a whole team figuring this stuff out. And so I just, I think it would be so cool. And it's awesome that you're going to do it and help out like the general population on a selfish side. I'd probably be like, man, I'm not telling anybody. They're all going to think it's a bad day to hunt. And I know it's going to be the best day to hunt. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of people that don't realize um, those good days to hunt. Last year, some of my best days came off of 40, 50 degree mornings. Because up north in Kansas, uh, it was negative 14 the night before, and all those birds migrated down because they got really cold from a cold front up there. A lot of people don't realize that. If, you, if you're sitting in Oklahoma and you're like, man, it's going to be 48 degrees tomorrow morning with no wind, it's, it's not going to be a good day. That's what a lot of people think. But realistically, you need to look at the surrounding areas um, around you to see really what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely guilty of that where – I'll, I'll be talking to a buddy and be like, hey, let's go out in the morning. What does the weather look like? I'll look at like the next 12 hours for where we're going to be hunting. And I don't do my research of figuring out what's going on east, west, north, any of it. I just plan it and I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, it's going to be sunny. It's probably not going to be the best. But some of those days might end up being the best. Like you said, if one state north or two hours north, there's a big storm front moving in or cold temperatures pushing birds down. Yeah, exactly. Um that was definitely one of my best days last year. It, I don't know if you would have had the effect, but we had the, the cold storm of ages, uh, the very last weekend of goose season. It was second weekend of February. Uh, where I'm at, it got down to negative 28 degrees in Oklahoma, which is unheard of. Yeah. I mean, ridiculously unheard of. Um, and there was a lot of people, they were like, I'm not going to go out and like, 
you know, hunting this. You know, I knew it was going to be cold. The birds were going to stay where they were at. They were going to jump off. They were going to feed one time, and that was going to be it. Yeah. But up north, it was really, really, uh, like, even colder than what it was down here. So I knew those birds were going to have to be leaving. Um, oh, yeah. So I knew it would be a good day. We ended up not even shooting any of the birds that I thought we were going to shoot. They were on the roost. They never got off the roost. We ended up shooting – 46 lessers um, that all were migration birds. Dang. All of them were migration birds. None of them came off of our roost where we thought they were going to come from. So if you, if you look around, you'll, you'll realize there's a, there's a lot better um, opportunities than that 58 degree morning. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I like the nastiest weather. Like if it's super terrible out, you can count oh, on yeah. me being out in the woods. Uh, people ask me all the time. They're like, really dude. It's like, storming it's raining you're gonna go out in this and i'm like one i'm the most comfortable in that i don't do heat very well at all like right now looking at missouri and it's been 90 degrees all week long close to 100 some days and we're only two weeks out from from archery season yeah and i'm like forget this like when i think of sitting in a tree stand i think of it topping out at 40 degrees throughout the day maybe getting down into the single digits and that's when i'm in heaven and so uh, yeah, I think I just need to do more research and, and maybe I'll just start hitting you up like, Hey man, yeah. what, what's going to be the best day? What's going to be the best yeah. time to go out this year? Yeah. And a lot of people say that pressure, pressure is a huge thing in deer hunting that I've realized oh, yeah. a lot of people use it, but a lot of people don't know how to use it. Right. Um, and that's one thing that I've learned over the years, but like your deer hunting is a lot different than my deer hunting being in North Carolina. We don't have the caliber of deer, uh, that you have in Missouri. Uh, you just don't. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my days spent hunting are over 40 degrees uh, and don't drop below 40 degrees. Yep. So that's just how it goes. Sometimes we don't get those huge cold fronts that typically happen. Ours come in late January, early February at the minimum. So we're never really in those cold temperatures. I remember, gosh, 2016, I believe I hunted on Christmas day, like the, like the night of Christmas, it was like 74 degrees when I climbed into the stand. Oh my gosh. And it's just, I mean, it really just is a whole different ball game wherever you live. Yeah. I've, I've had people tell me like, man, you got to come down to the swamps of Florida and hunt. And I'm like, no, there is nothing that sounds good about leaving like November temperatures in Missouri to go and sit in like 80 and 90% humidity in a swamp yeah. covered in bugs. No, and you. alligators. Yeah, alligators. Yeah, yeah. Not a fun time in Florida. No. What What was it like um, moving from North Carolina to Oklahoma? I mean, was that a huge culture shock? Was that, it difficult I mean, to find honestly, hunting buddies? Uh, yeah, that, that I would think moving to Oklahoma, I was like, man, there's a lot of guys that waterfowl hunt out here, you know? Yeah. And I realized very quickly a lot of the guys that waterfowl hunt don't go to college. Um, that's what I, I mean, that's the, the brutal truth of it is what I realized, you know, there is a lot, uh, of guys that do, but most of my friends that I've made hunting wise have been non-college guys. Okay. Um, you know, whether that means they're like 25, 26 out of college or just never went to college to begin with. Um, so that was a whole different ballgame. I mean, I moved from North Carolina to Oklahoma in the middle of August. There was no hunting seasons in, um, and so I got there and I was like, what the heck do I do with my free time? I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, so that was all, that was a whole different, whole different ball game. Yeah. 
So uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about Silva Waterfowl. What is, what is that? Um, what do you guys do, and uh, how did that start? Um, Silva Waterfowl is so actually my best friend from North Carolina. Uh, his name is Michael Rainier. He's one of my greatest friends. He actually started the page years ago. Okay. I mean, like first post was like 2009. Um. And he, uh, he built that up, you know, and uh, I started hunting with him through high school um, and, you know, helped him build that page and everything. And kind of when I moved out to Oklahoma, he was like, look, he was like, this page is stuck. He was like, being in North Carolina, there's not a lot you can do. He was like, take it and run with it. And I was like, I'll take it and run with it. You know, I helped him a lot before, like hunting wise and stuff. So he was like, take it and run with it. And I was like, okay. So I have taken it and absolutely ran with it. Um, I, we now are grossing 64,000 followers on Instagram. Nice. Um, so I have been doing a ton with that. Uh, we just released our first apparel line, um, which I'm super excited about. Um, looked super good. Um, realistically for me right now, it's not about the money. Um, I have no desire to really make money off of this. As of right now, I am doing this to help my hunting expenses um and uh maybe help me pay for college you know with that apparel i'm making very very low profit margins off of it yeah um just because i want people to to wear that and i want people to know what silva is as a company you know um so i'm just trying to run with that um and i absolutely love it so that's cool i mean i know the feeling i just got stickers in it's the first thing that i've had like that I've made to distribute and there's just something cool about it. Like having your logo on something and people are like, yeah, Yeah. I'll buy that. And I mean, given it's it's a $3 sticker, I'm not retiring off of sticker sales. That's for sure. But it's just really cool. And I was like, you know, maybe I'll take the money from that and put it into hats and then sweatshirts or t-shirts or something like that. Who knows? That's exactly how I'm going with this right now. Um, I just, I, I want people to know who I am and what I am as a person, you know. Um, I've always put faith first in my life and I want people to know that. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, what a what does hunting season look like for you there in Oklahoma? I mean, obviously your Instagram is full of birds dropping out of the sky and yeah. amazing scouting videos. How, yeah. how has that changed in comparison to north carolina man if i'm being honest north carolina waterfowl hunting sucks (laughs) i i absolutely despise it um i grew up waterfowl hunting in north carolina you know and it was it was a good thing for a while uh and then i realized very quickly i was like wow i was like when i got to oklahoma it was a whole different ball game uh i actually shot my first teal when I came to Oklahoma, because teal aren't a thing in North Carolina. You yeah. don't shoot teal, you know, unless you just have one random swamp that sees them one time, you know, you might just get lucky. But uh, like in high school, I shot wood ducks and that's it. I mean, but I shot a crap ton of wood ducks. See, and, and coming from Missouri, I'm like, man, these wood ducks are gone by the time season shows up. We See, hardly I, ever shoot them. And I'm like, a Drake wood duck is in my mind, the most beautiful bird out there. I Dude, love Drake I, wood ducks. I have shot way too many to count because <laughs> I, I, and I am just sick of shooting wood ducks. Like opening day, Oklahoma season, one came and landed in our spread, which I don't know if you know this, 
uh, wood ducks don't decoy. No. Like that's not a thing that they're known for. They just you shoot them past. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the times, um, what wood ducks are known for. And one landed in our decoys, and I would not shoot it because I was like, I I have shot way too many of these things. You're like you're not taking up one of my six spots. In yeah, my exactly. Today. And yeah. and I ended up shooting uh five mallards and a pintail, and that was my first pintail as well. Nice. So I mean, it's just a whole different ball game out here. Um, going from that to this, and then honestly with deer hunting too. Deer hunting, I, I deer hunted a ton as a kid uh, with my dad, and absolutely loved that. I My aunt and uncle own a farm in Kentucky, um, and there's some huge deer that grow in Kentucky. Um, but the caliber of deer hunting in Oklahoma is an entire different breed. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I am right now have deer on camera that are going 150 on public land. Jeez. With, and in North Carolina, if you shoot a spike on public land, you're doing something right. Yeah. Um, well, can, so, I, I've got a buddy in South Carolina, and they can still run dogs in South Carolina. Can they do can, that in North Carolina yes, also? Yes, you can run dogs in North Carolina as well, which I hated as a kid because, I mean, people would walk out of the woods with, like, 36 deer as a hunting club, and half of them would be spikes. And I'm like, we're never going to have a good, like, buck-to-doe ratio. We're never going to have a good gene pool. You know, it just yeah. – it sucks, but some giant deer do get shot running dogs. Yeah, I know a dude who shot a 176 inch deer in North Carolina running a dog, which Jeez. just insane. I mean, it really is. Yeah, I mean, because I, like I'm sure those deer kind of figure it out, just like they do with people, and just like elk do out west. Like they yeah. know where the hunters are going to be, and they'll tuck down somewhere. But it just takes that one wrong day, a wrong shift mm-hmm. of the wind, and the dog could pick it up and and bump it yeah. out and it may have been doing that same technique to avoid any human contact for mm-hmm. five years. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it's wild what dog hunting does to like a population, which I'm being honest, are, we're way too overpopulated with deer in North Carolina and in South Carolina. Like, yeah. I don't know if you know, in South Carolina, you can shoot six bucks and unlimited does Jeez, because there are so many deer uh, and their season starts August 1st. So, and runs they have a three and a half month long gun season oh my goodness yeah. see that's crazy and i get it man like i'm not one to judge people by how they hunt like as long as yeah. it's within the parameters of the law go for yeah. it absolutely it's intriguing to me i would love to be around the culture of it like to go and see those hunt clubs where all these dudes get together and they're running hounds uh, i just think it's a unique way to do it um I'll say that I'm glad we don't do that here in Missouri, but yeah. I think it would be cool to experience at least once. It, it is a really cool experience. I've been on a couple of them, and, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's it's a cool experience. Um, I just wish there was a better way to, like, regulate it just because, you know, gene pools would be so much better in North Carolina and the deer hunting would be a lot better. Yeah. Um, but I understand exactly where they're coming from. Their, their dads grew up doing it and their dads grew up doing it. You know, that's just a thing. Yeah, when it's a when it's a like historical culture in a certain area, yeah. it's very hard to weed that out. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And, and it's I like mean, if there's, there's guys a, if there's a, the majority of people that enjoy doing it, there's no reason to if the game numbers are enough to sustain it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the same thing uh, with waterfowl retrieving dogs. People spend thousands and thousands of dollars on really good dogs. People do the same thing with deer dogs. Um, it's I mean, it's a whole different. It's a whole different world out there. That's so crazy. Yeah. I, uh, 
dog work has been something that I've been a lot more intrigued by lately. Um, I've had one waterfowl dog and it wasn't like, I mean, it was a glorified fetcher, you know, yeah. like if it didn't see it go down, odds are I was going out after it to get, yeah. the, to get the duck or I'm the guy like bragging on my dog. And then I get to like opening morning and I'm throwing sticks at the birds that the dog <laughs> sees it splash, you know, everybody's yeah. been there, but um, watching dogs run for rabbits, uh, watching videos of guys like train mountain lions. There's something about like using a dog as a tool and your best hunting buddy. Yeah. Yeah. I could um, see I that. Absolutely be very love that. Yeah. I've never had a waterfowl like retrieving dog or anything, but I would love to have one at some point where I live right now. Um, doesn't allow pet pets. So sadly I can't get one, but definitely whenever I live somewhere with pets, I plan on getting one. Yeah, that's going to, I mean, you'll love it. I, I've watched guys who have, like, really, really well-trained dogs, and there's just something about it. I mean, I feel like you're sitting out in the woods at that point, or, like, out in the swamp, and yeah. your dog goes out and gets it, and it's like you gain street cred. If there's street yeah. cred in the hunting world, it's sitting there while your dog perfectly retrieves a bird or multiple birds. Yeah. Um, I am totally with you on that. I actually have a buddy. Um, I hunted with him for the first time last year, met him, uh, in Oklahoma. He has an incredible dog, his dog. We walked back to the truck. I think we were like driving to the, like the local seven 11. Cause we were all hungry after a hunt or something. We were going to come back and get our blinds. Um, we realized that we left a goose in one of the blinds and we were 400 yards from our layouts at least. And he's like, he like, uh, heals the bird beside me. He's like bird and just points at the layouts. Dog runs 400 yards, gets the bird out of the layout line. Like it oh is in gosh. the layout line and brings it back. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I, I just, I don't know. Like I couldn't believe that. Like that dog is ridiculously well-trained. Yeah. I'm guessing he was kind of humble like about it, but if it yeah. was me, I'd be like exploding inside. Like, did anybody else just see that? Yeah, I mean, that's how everybody was, except the owner. He was like, yeah. oh, that's like a normal day. And I was like, man, I wish. Oh, I was like, gosh. I don't even want to run 400 yards and go get it and bring it <laughs> Absolutely back. not. Definitely not, like, decked out in all the hunting clothing. Yeah, exactly. There's a public land spot here in Missouri that we started going years ago. And since, a lot of people have discovered it. But uh, we went and scouted it the day before season one year. And we got out there, and there were loads of snows, Canada's and probably another thousand ducks all in this flooded Milo field with like an, yeah. a, a tree Island right in the middle of it. And I'm like, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. The problem was you had to have waders because there wasn't much cover around the perimeter of it. And so you wanted to be like right in the center of the trees. Yeah. But either carrying waders or wearing waders for that hike. I mean, it's probably a mile. I need to get on Onyx and actually like map it out and see how far yeah. it is. But if I had to guess, it's a mile walk. And when you're talking like frozen waders by the end of the day, it's terrible. So Not a fun one. We started like getting really creative. I mean, we would like get all dressed up and then we just throw our waders over our shoulders, but you're also carrying decoys out there. If you've got mojos, you're bringing those, you've got your gun, you've got all of this different, all, all the different equipment. And I was like, man, why are we doing this? Cause by the end of the time that we hunted that place, we were pumped if we got a round of shooting and I'm like, we're putting yeah. all this work in, there's gotta be a better place because it was kind of close to home. And so it was like 25, 30 minutes 
But the hike in, I was like, man, we could drive two hours and still be set up by the time we actually get set up out on the spot. Yeah. I just. I have a very similar story with that. Um, In North Carolina, there is a lake that is relatively close to my house. But on the north side of the lake, it turns into a swamp. Um, And the only way to get in there, uh, in North Carolina, there's this thing called float hunting. Um, As long as nothing of you touches the ground, you are allowed to hunt it. So if you, so I would launch my kayak in the lake. Um, it was about a two and a half mile kayak every, okay. And this is with having two dozen decoys, like on my kayak with me, I would kayak in two and a half miles without touching the ground. Cause you can't touch the ground legally. Um, because you can't own water. Like that's the whole premise of it. Yeah. Um, and we would, we would go in there, but I mean, if, if we didn't get there by two 30 in the morning, we weren't like going to be there in time for shooting light. Oh my goodness. Um, and I like, we loved doing it because it was me and two high school buddies. We loved doing it just for like the experience. You know, we had a great time with each other, but I think like in one season, we only shot like three wood ducks in there, <laughs> and, and we probably went there six or seven times. Yeah. Uh, and I think we shot two mallards one time, but like just the fun of it was totally worth it. Well, there's something about the adventure and like the struggle, right? A yeah. lot of people, I mean, if I had an amazing waterfowl spot where I knew I was going to go and at least get four birds every day, right? But yeah. it was right out my back door. I would not look forward to that nearly as much as struggling, putting in the effort, freezing my butt off, like yeah. getting all the guys together, maybe hanging out the night before. And going to shoot nothing. Like yeah. last year, we went down to this guided hunt. It was it was an unguided, I'm trying to think. Basically, we just leased the field out for You leased the field, right? yeah. But yep. just yep. one day. And so he's like, hey, listen, I can point you in the direction. You go get set up. Everything's out there except decoys and you. So, like, you show up with your decoys, get set up, but the pits are out there, and you can hunt the flooded rice field. And we, I mean, it was like three and a half hour drive from here. And all of us were like, man, we're going to do it. We're going to pay the money. We're going to go and hammer these birds. And we show up, and we didn't pull the trigger at a bird the entire day. We went and stayed in a cheap hotel the night before. We were going to camp out, but it got down in single digits. And we're like, man, it's going to be really rough, like waking up from our tent and then putting freezing cold waders on tomorrow morning. And so we opted out. Yeah, we didn't shoot a single bird. Only time I've ever paid for a waterfowl hunt in my life. And I was mm. like, what in the world? That was terrible. But looking back, I'm like, it was a really fun trip. We we suffered out there. I mean, it was cold. And my waders uh, blew out on me. Not last oh. year, but the year before. And so I was like, it was crunch time for waterfowl season. The beginning of waterfowl season wasn't very cold. And so I was like, man, I'll just get some cheapo waders for right now until I yeah. decide which ones I want. So I get on Amazon and I bought these $49 waders that were basically like, what's that? Were they called Tidewee? No, I don't think that's it. I'll have to look, I'll have to look at them and see what, what they were called. Or maybe I can look at my Amazon cart, but they were just like the cheapest waders, but they had really good reviews. And I was like, you know, like I'll just wear these for early season and then I'll get waders by the end. Well, I never did get new waders. And so I wore those out there and I was like, oh, I'll just double up on my merino wool socks i'll put my like down base or my down insulative layer on yeah didn't even help i mean like it was 
freezing and miserable, yeah. but I will always remember that hunt. And if it was like an easy walk out the back and bust the limit on my farm pond, I probably yeah. wouldn't. Yeah. I, uh, I'm totally with you on that. I think the adventure is everything in a hunt. Oh yeah. Um, I absolutely love doing that. We had one day last year. Um, we were hunting a field uh, we had snows and lessers in it the day before there was no snow called or anything for the like nothing was supposed to happen and we get down there we set up our decoys the field is straight mud i mean like we couldn't drive in the field with our trailer which was terrible so we had to walk like 300 yards with 15 dozen full bodies you know so that was just terrible having to do that but like the time i had was like so much fun we end up finally getting in the layouts and everything and it starts sleeting and on us and everything. And then it, uh, it turns, uh, it like reaches just above, um, freezing. And I'm like, man, this is like a severe storm. So I like look at it and it starts hailing on us. Oh, it's man. like 34 degrees, but it's hailing on us, you know? And I was like, wow, this is terrible. Uh, but we got beat the crap out of hail for like 10 minutes, just sitting in our layout spawns. But we ended up shooting a bunch of birds that day. Um, but it was definitely one of like the funnest, like most experienced hunts I definitely had. That's awesome. Yeah, I, man, I, I just always go back to it. If there's a little bit of misery involved in it, like it's going to be a good hunt. All of my most memorable hunts had something yeah. go seriously wrong or it was just very difficult. Um what a what do you primarily hunt there right now? Or like what's your what's your um, go to hunt if you could choose something to hunt? In honestly, Oklahoma? if I could do something, probably mallards. Okay, just shooting mallards. I absolutely love doing that. But uh, I am huge into goose hunting now. I have like I grew up in North Carolina, you know, and there's not a lot of migration geese, but there's a ton of resident geese okay. um, that stick around throughout the year, and we have a resident goose season in September. Um, but you don't have to have a plug-in for resident goose season. Dang. So, yeah, uh, because we don't have teal or anything that you could shoot at the same time, you know, so they're never really worried about that. Yeah. Um. So, like, I have a buddy, he shot, like, uh, this past year when I was in Oklahoma, they shot a bunch of birds. Uh, and, like, that's just a really cool thing because it's September, you're wearing shorts and a T-shirt, sitting in an A-frame, you know, shooting birds with 15 shells in your gun you know it's it's a whole different ball game it's super cool but you know they don't do that in oklahoma they have a resident season but you can't uh you can't have unplugged guns so it's not quite as fun no um but yeah i've really loved shooting lessers uh those small geese that do giant tornadoes just like snows you know yeah um that's something that i've started to love doing that's cool so uh, where are you hunting way outside the city or are you pretty close? Oh yeah, no, I'm okay. So my two primary places I hunt are around Lawton, which is Southwest Oklahoma. Um, and then another spot West of Oklahoma city, uh, probably an hour outside of Oklahoma city to the West is another place that we hunt. Um, ton of birds out there a lot. It's really hard to get permission to. Yeah. Um, and that's something I kind of ran into being from North Carolina. Everybody was like, who is this random kid from North Carolina asking me for permission to hunt? Yeah. Um, so, but I throughout a lot of no's, I got a lot of yeses as well. Um, so that's kind of how I've gained, you know, places to hunt, um, throughout the, throughout last year. Cause it was my freshman year. So I was only here for a whole year. 
Um, but I'm roughly sitting at like 40,000 acres that I can waterfowl hunt now. That's so cool. Um, which is just a ridiculous amount. Like oh, it just yeah. blows my brain whenever I think about that. But you, you get a lot of yeses. A lot of the farmers just want the geese gone and off of their wheat fields. Um, Cause we're hunting a lot of wheat, milo uh, and corn. So most of the time the farmers just want the, the geese off or the ducks off. I, I just had my cousin on the show and he is big into waterfowl hunting. He's up in Wisconsin, um, yeah. right off of Lake Michigan. They get loads and loads of birds, but he, he's got access to a golf course and oh. they can hunt geese on the golf course. And it's so funny because my brother went up there last year. I think it was last year to hunt with him. And he's like, Hey, you know, we're going to go hit the big fields. And he's same thing. He's got thousands of acres to hunt up there just through permission. And he randomly, uh, was like, dude, I got this golf course. The guy lets us take golf carts out. We throw our guns in the golf bags and we just drive right up to the geese and hop out because the golf course isn't in city limits, yeah. but they still have to abide by all the state laws, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't remember what it is up there. If it's two or three birds, which is crazy to me because there's yeah, so many birds up there. Yeah. Um, Cause you like in Oklahoma, you can shoot eight. Um, you can shoot eight geese. You can shoot eight geese and six ducks uh, and two specks, um, but they count towards your goose limit. So you can shoot like six uh, Canada geese and then like two lesser or two specks. Okay. So you can shoot eight geese and then six ducks. Man, so, and then I as was, many snows as you want. When I was out in Colorado, oh. I thought it was crazy that they had a five bird limit because like yeah. growing North up in Carolina Wisconsin, is five. Yeah. But Which eight, I have no man, idea why. Because crazy. That's so awesome. You got to think when we have we're hunting feeds with like twelve to fifteen thousand uh, geese on it and six thousand ducks. You know, eight isn't really a lot when you really think about no. it in the grand scheme of things. You know, you shoot a hundred birds out of twelve thousand. You didn't even make a dent. Yeah, but coming from a place where even here, I think when I started hunting here, I don't know. I haven't looked yet to see what the limit is here this year. But when I started hunting here, it was only two birds. You could only shoot two geese. And yeah. so, but again, I think that probably has a big part to do with the migration because, like, they split right here. If it was just a solid migration all the way through, we'd probably be sitting at eight also. But you guys obviously have a much yeah. better uh, flight than we do. All right, guys, if you enjoy this show and you want to know how to make your own, I'm going to tell you about something called Anchor. It's an app that I've been using ever since I started, and it's completely free. Like I said, I've used it from the get-go, and I haven't had to pay a single penny to distribute my podcasts through this app. They've got creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone, tablet, computer, so you don't have to get a bunch of fancy equipment in order to get started. Now you can also add songs directly from Spotify into your episodes. So, I mean, you can create whatever you want, something that nobody's ever heard before, and it's so easy. Just click and drag. Anchor is also going to help you distribute your podcast. And so you don't have to upload it to all of these different platforms. Anchor can be that central hub that your podcast goes out to all of the other platforms through. And you can make money without any minimum listenership. So, I mean, you heard that right. You can actually start making money right away, no matter how many listeners you have. So what I'm getting at is it's basically everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. 
So go and download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeah, it uh, it definitely opens up a lot of opportunities to shoot a lot of birds. Yeah, are you are you hunting pretty big groups now? Oh uh, like, yeah, it, get, it kind of depends. Um, yeah, it kind of depends. Um, it depends on the hunt. You know how many birds are and everything. But I've done a lot of uh, like eight man shoots, ten man shoots, twelve man shoots. But I typically like to keep it around eight. Eight is a good number if you have enough birds. Yeah. Um. You know, I'll do some smaller hunts here and there, but primarily for booking hunts this year, I'm probably going to run myself uh, and then five to six guys. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. What uh, what does your season look like there? I mean, obviously, you've probably got a 60-day season for, for ducks, just yeah. like everywhere else. Um, but as far as the flight goes – how early do you start seeing the migrators coming through and how late do they, or how long do they last? Um, you know, the ducks get here relatively early, honestly. Um, I don't know if that's just me being from North Carolina last year. And I shot a three man limit on opening day last year. And I was like, I've never done this in my life, <laughs> you know, uh, because it, I mean, it's just, it's just wild, you know, but realistically the geese get here a lot better in January. Um, I shot a lot more geese in January um, but the ducks were here relatively throughout the whole season. But usually there's like a two-week lull where there's just not a lot of birds. Um, and last year it was like the first and second week of December, which kind of worked out because it was finals week for me. Um, so there wasn't a lot of birds around to shoot. So I was able to like focus on my finals and actually, <laughs> you know, do the school that I'm here to do. Yeah. Um, but really January is when they get here thick. Um yeah. Well, and you you guys are shooting birds that have seen hundreds of decoy spreads. I mean, they've calls. seen they've been through Canada, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, and then to us. You know. Yeah. How does how does that look uh, as far as calling, as far as decoy spread goes? Like, is it are you dealing with call and decoy shy birds a lot of the time? Um. Yeah. Honestly, uh, it's more or less the lessers. Um, they are very, very skittish birds. I realized last year cause I had never shot them before. Um, when you get like big geese, you know, like full, like honker size geese, that's a whole different thing. Like they, they will decoy to anything. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, they are just like a, a dumber bird, I guess, but the lessers, um, I think the biggest problem with the lessers is they come in groups of like, they'll get up in 2000. You know, if one eye catches a piece of your blind or something that looks just wrong, they're dipping out. Yeah. You know, one bird doesn't like it. They all are gone. Um, so, you know, you run into that. And uh, I'm sure up up north it's a little bit better um, just because they're not used to seeing that Yeah. as much. Um, but, it, I mean, it, it just kind of depends on the day. If those birds have been feeding on that field for a while and they're like, they want to be there, they're going to be there. Um, but if you're at a spot, you know, they might've just switched feeds the day before and you found them, then hunt them the next day. They'll be a little weary. Yeah. How, are you, are you changing your spread up quite a bit throughout the season? Are you going? Yes, like... definitely. Uh, early season, smaller spreads, um, has always worked better for me. Uh, it did last year. Um, and then throughout the season, middle of the season, I usually have like the bigger spreads and then closer to like January is when I like size back down. So Early season, I'm talking 20, 30 dozen 
decoys with 10 to 15 dozen full bodies in the rest stocks or silhouettes. Um, then typically around December, I'm hunting those big 60, 70, 80 dozen spreads. Um, and then January, I really like, honestly, I stayed around 40 a lot last year, uh, around right at 40 dozen, um, in January. But a lot of that is socks, um, literally putting the socks in the middle of the field and laying in those socks for some reason, early season, the geese like to be on the edges of the field. And then like towards later season, they are like in the dead center of the field. Yeah. So you have to hide inside your decoys. Well, I wonder if, I wonder if that has to do with temperature a lot, you know, like, yeah, well, yeah, that's actually a big thing with it. I think, um, a lot of those birds flock together like in tight, tight, tight balls when it gets really cold. I remember last year I found about 4,000 geese and I mean, they were in like a 20 by 20 foot square, probably or circle. I should say, I mean, it was tiny. They were packed, packed in. And when they got up, it looked like just the sky turned black, but they were in a tiny, tiny little, little blob. Yeah, you, I mean, I, I noticed that out in Colorado because Colorado gets pretty extreme temperature swings. Yeah. And you drive past a field, and you, I mean, like when the snows were in there especially, like you would just see this white circle in the middle of the field. Yeah. And you're like, man, that is like all white. There's no, you can't see the ground in between them mm-hmm. at all. And then all of a sudden they'd take off, and it's just like a quarter mile long wad of yeah. birds flying through the air. And I'm like, there's no way there were that many in it. And same thing with geese, but yeah, that's what, that's typically what we do, um, here is we'll run lighter, more spread out in the, in the early season. We'll go heavier, more condensed in the, um, late season, but we've also had really good luck here because of how small the flight or like how few birds we get coming through. Yeah. Just throwing out like three birds and two of them being motioned. Which yep. do you guys use motion for geese at all aside for from geese, flags? Um, flags, and then I actually have a goose mojo. It actually okay. sits on the ground um, and has like flappable wings that you like put into the side. Only used it twice last year. Um, we actually shot birds over it both times. Nice. So I don't really know how effective it is, but I did try to use it last year. It's so, pretty all right. So the wings flap; they're not spinning. Yeah. No, they don't okay, spin. Sweet. They go like up and down. Yeah. Uh, so basically just like what a flag does, but side to side and you, goes. You need to check this out, and I'm in no way sponsored by them, although if they're open to a sponsorship, I will absolutely take it. Um, clone decoys. Have you seen the clone okay. decoys? I have not. Okay, look them up, and it will blow your mind. I think they're running around $300 a decoy, yeah. but it is. it looks like a goose flying into land. You've got a remote that changes the speed of the wing flap. You can just kill it to where it looks like it's just cupped and, like, fu- finishing the approach. Um, yeah. And then they also make a thing called a persuader, which is a pivoting arm. So this whole goose is almost on, like, a heavy gauge rod. And so it's got so some So is it like the snow goose? Like the snow goose ones that, like, they spin make in a circle? So it doesn't spin in a circle, They but they make snows, specks, mallards, and... Canada's last I checked, but, um, the persuader is a pivoting arm. And so it doesn't spin, but it will shift like six feet side to side. And then as the wings flap, it causes it to bounce up and down. And so the, the lifelike motion of it is like nothing I've ever seen in the like motorized decoy world. 
I'm actually looking at it right now. Oh man, uh, just it, watch the it, video. You're feel free to watch the video as we're talking because I was blown away. I ended up buying two of them for the guys that let me hunt their land, and yeah, they they looked so real. Wow, yeah, they actually they're out of stock. Imagine that, yeah. Right up. Uh, only till next season. week, though. Only till next week. It says they'll be back in stock next week. Yeah, they sell mallards too. Yep. Mallards, snow geese. Wow, the video is awesome. Yeah, and they, I mean, they show them with snows. Like a lot of their promo videos are shot um, snow goose hunting. Yeah. And they'll put like a dozen of those things out. I'm like, man, I don't have enough, I don't have the money for a dozen of those decoys, but yeah. I can't imagine if I just had one mallard in a field spread. Because mallards love the motion, you know. Yeah. They're figuring out the the mojos at this point, I feel like. Um, yeah. Unless it's early season. But if you throw something like that in that they've never seen, I think you yeah. can pull most birds. Yeah, that's a whole different like level. I've never seen anything like that other than what people do with, like, the snow spreads with, with the circles, you know. Yep. But that's, like, a whole different ball game, swaying side to side. Yeah, I mean, it a, really looks like they're just fighting the wind coming yeah, in for yeah, a final approach. exactly, yeah. That's a... Uh, really really cool thing i've never even like i'd never even heard of them until you just mentioned them so that's a a lot of people hadn't and i think i just randomly came across them on facebook one day like i think maybe i looked up decoys and then i got a sponsored ad or something like that out of it and and once i started looking into it i was like man this is a game changer and the fact that you can hook it up to a small battery even like a dewalt battery or like yeah a Milwaukee it says battery. it says a 12 volt is typically what they use yeah and is. so what we would do when we'd put them out is we would just hide them under the shell uh like we'd hide them under shells yeah. or the battery and then we'd have that thing right there where we're wanting birds to drop in and then at the i was like man the only thing that would make that better is if you could hit a button and the whole arm would just drop down and yeah, then like so be could, on the ground yeah, and I'm look. I, this video is just incredible. Like, it, I mean, it really does make them look very realistic. You know. Yeah, yeah. And like, we we'd go out and pick up birds, or uh, I would go, like, say I had to run to the gas station or something mid hunt. We we yeah. hunted this field that was basically in the middle of the city, and so it was yeah. cheating. I mean, we had limits every day, and yeah. uh, I would go like get donuts for everybody or something. And I'd be coming back and I'm like, man, they've got birds dropping in on them. Not remembering that we had just bought these clone decoys. And I was like, they looked so real from, I mean, really 50 yards out. They started looking like completely real. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Um, I definitely will have to check that out this year. I've been thinking about trying to do some motion with those lessers because those lessers act a lot like snows. Yeah. Big balls, you know, big tornadoes right at the end, you know. I think that would definitely be a really cool like thing to try to try to get into. Yeah. But I mean, you guys I can't imagine. I don't think I've ever put out that many decoys in my life. Just because where we're at, we just don't goose hunt yeah. a whole lot. Yeah. You know. But there's something about setting up when I was on the front range of Colorado, we would do that. We'd bring a whole trailer out and we would yeah. I mean it was packed top to bottom wall to wall front to back and we would put full bodies out and there was just it was an event you know it wasn't like just going and throwing a mojo up in a pond it was like you're showing up early setting up for an hour and a half tearing down for an hour and a half yeah stacking birds taking pictures and i can see why people get into goose hunting it's i I, I got so addicted to it after last year, if I'm being honest. Like, I mean, it just, it took all my money that I made this summer. 
Like, I mean, it literally took everything. I bought a brand new trailer, um, 12 dozen full bodies, 25 dozen socks, and 25 dozen silos to hunt over this year. Jeez. Um, so it, it took my money, but I am ridiculously excited for it. You know, oh, I, yeah. uh, I think it's going to be really, really good. Um, and a really good investment for me. Oh, for sure. If so, I mean, you talked about your passion with meteorology and with waterfowl hunting. If you were offered a job in both fields today, what would you take? Waterfowl. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I think that might be like the young me talking, you know, yeah. uh, like really the more mature answer is probably a job that's going to be stable. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, I mean, if someone told me if they're like, you have a job for the next 40 years in waterfowl, I, I would do that right now. Yeah. Um, so I'm super excited for that. Like, I mean, I, I think it would be a really cool opportunity. What What was the draw to meteorology? Because I do hear people all the time. You hear the joke, like, if you want a job that you don't ever have to be accurate and you can still get paid. Yeah. Like, it's being yeah. a weatherman. What What was yeah. the draw for you? Which, I, I, I know <laughs> this sounds That's probably very terrible. offensive. <laughs> well, I, okay, so this is where this comes from. Uh, like, there's a lot of people in meteorology that hate people that say that. And hate is a strong word, but yeah. they really do, you know? Um, because, like, people don't realize that, like, predicting the weather is predicting the future. Yeah. I can't do that. You know, yeah. we are making our best educated guess based on what happened previously, you know. Um, but really the thing that drew me was Hurricane Matthew in 2016 um, when it hit North Carolina. It was horrible. I mean, I just saw the devastation. Like, I had always loved weather and meteorology prior. But seeing the devastation that it brought on people, I want to be the person that can be there firsthand and that can get people informed to, like, get out, be able to evacuate and stuff like that. Um, I want to be there for those people. Um, that's, and that's cool. something that I've always been passionate about. Yeah. That's really sweet. Especially like taking the severe weather approach to it. Um, hurricanes, yeah. tornadoes, like growing up in Wisconsin, I didn't really have to deal with much of that. I can remember the tornado sirens going off like maybe a handful of times, but that never yeah. really meant something touched down. Every now and then people would be like, oh, man, it touched down here for like 12 seconds. But it's all farmland, so you're yeah. losing crops or trees or hunting land. Um, but but yeah. I know like on the coast, especially, like they're about to get hit with a monster tor uh, hurricane here coming up soon. Sorry, my uh, internet connection uh, just said well, unstable. Yeah, that was actually two days ago. All right, we're good. Okay. Um, yeah, that hurricane came through yesterday, um, and it was just horrible for Louisiana, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm planning. That's why I'm planning on trying to go down there this weekend to help people out. Man, um, that's so. I mean, to be down there and and see. Have you have you done a lot of uh, disaster response stuff in the past? I have never personally done any, um, but I know a lot of people that did. Um, and I've always like, I just have always had a passion for community and like being like tight knit in my community, you know, growing up in a tiny town, everybody knows everybody. Um, and I couldn't imagine anything like that ever happening to my town. So I always want to like try to be there and, and help those people. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's eye opening for sure. We, we went to the Joplin tornado 
um, disaster response years ago. And it was just crazy to see, you know, like you can see one block, people's lives were changed forever. And then the next block over, it was like nothing ever happened. But yeah, no. but to be able to be on a team or to be the guy that's informing people ahead of time, I could see, I could see where your passion comes from with that. Uh, what is this? What does this season look like for you? How soon are you guys kicking off, dude? Uh, if I'm being honest, uh, dove season opens on Wednesday. Nice. Uh, but with classes and everything, I probably won't be able to go. Honestly, bummer. Uh, but September the 11th starts our resident goose season. Okay. And I already have three or four different feeds that uh we that I have. So I'm hoping those birds stay. Considering the residents, I don't see them leaving. I don't see a reason for them to leave. Um, but, I mean, we're kicking it off right at the beginning for the next, you know, month-ish. Goes through the 24th of September. Oh, nice. That's sweet. We yeah. uh, we we hop into dove season as well on Wednesday. And it's funny because here where we're at, Dove, dove opener is much larger than early goose or early teal or anything like that because the dove numbers here are phenomenal. Yeah. Like we found a spot that we can yeah. hammer them all day, opening day. After that, it kind of dies down, but we turn it into a big event. We'll go camp out tomorrow night, um, wake up, make yeah. a bunch of breakfast, and it'll be a good time. Uh, are you Are you guys? Yeah, seeing, that's, that's awesome. Are you guys seeing a lot of bands where you're at? Okay, so I've actually had this conversation with um, some guys that have lived in Oklahoma, you know, for the past, the rest of their, their whole lives, you know. Um, and they said in the past couple of years, they have killed less bands than ever. Huh. Um, us- usually, as a group, they're shooting 10 to 12. Uh, and last season, they didn't shoot a single band. Dang. Um, so, realistically, I think it's uh, a lot of our birds, you know, have a line and they come down, you know, and I think just wherever our birds are coming from, um, they're not getting banded as often anymore. Um, so I think that's something, um, that has started happening here. Cause I, I personally have never seen a band like in a hunt that I was at. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the boys I hunt with have a lot of bands on their lanyards. Yeah. Um, so that's something I'm hoping to get for, uh, for, just to have one, you know, Yeah. you see all these guys with their entire lanyards filled up, but I, I just want one. I have been on more hunts where a band was shot than I can count. And really? I have never wow. been the one to shoot. Um, I had two in one year on my property. And I mean, two birds out of probably two geese out of the 12 geese that were killed on that property that year, because like we were the only ones that hunted it. And it yeah. was basically jump shooting, you know, like yeah. you weren't going to set up a spread for geese there because yeah. the odds of them actually showing up and dropping in were hardly anything. But yeah. it was a perfect scenario where on the south side of the pond, there was an embankment that you could walk up and you could yeah. just jump shoot them. And so I took my buddy Michael out and he had never um, goose hunted before. And so I was like, dude, we're going to go get a bird for you. I just drove by the pond. There's geese out on it. You know, we're going to have to park the vehicle and walk a couple hundred yards and we get up there, he shoots a goose, and, of course, it's banded. And I'm like, dude, that is your first goose you've ever killed. And, it and banded. it's banded. Like, you are never going to appreciate a band. Like, like yeah. I'm going to. 
And so when I show up on hunts and these guys have their lanyards full, I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. I've got my lanyard. I've got uh, five. It's 550 cord, right? And on the 550 yeah. cord, I have two dove bands that are only as big as the 550 cord. Like they as almost the didn't. Yeah. They almost didn't fit. And people think they're fake. I'm like, no, these are real. Like those are the only bands I've ever killed were dove bands. Yeah. Yeah, I have yet to kill one, and I really hope I do soon because I just think it's just like, I mean, that is like the prize, you know. But like last year, I shot like a one in a million spec. Um, I shot a spec that was completely black bellied. Oh, like, dang. Completely. Yeah, which is just unheard of, you know. Um, and I was like, well, this is my, you know, quote unquote band for yeah. the year. Um, but like realistically, I. I, I would love to shoot one, but like, I don't know the actual odds of shooting one at this point. Yeah. Did, uh, we'll see what happens. Did you get that uh, spec mounted? Yes. He nice. is at the taxidermist right now. He will be done in February. Isn't that taxidermist the, was a year, a year. Yeah. A year out. I'm so. like, it, it's awesome when they get it to you like midsummer and it kind of breaks up the gap of waterfowl. Season yeah. And it's like, yeah. Oh man, I can't waterfowl hunt. And then all of a sudden you get that text like, Hey man, it's going to be ready in a month. And you're like, Oh, this is just uh, as yeah. good. I shot that, that spec on the last day of season. Dang. Last day of good. It was the last day of duck season. Actually. Okay. Uh, I think it was like January 31st, but, um, I, I was ridiculously excited. Like I, I mean, like we had these birds coming in, we were sitting on a tree line and, in, in layouts and like i point my gun up like i hadn't even seen the birds really yet i put my gun up and literally the first thing i see is just black just the entire entire chest is black and i like shoot that bird right when i shot it i was like i know i shot that bird i was like literally that was the only bird i aimed at (laughs) um and i went up there and out there and grabbed it and i was like dude i was like this is just incredible like Definitely a once once in a lifetime spec. Yeah, that's awesome. We, uh, I always look. I mean, like if I'm out if I'm out in a field or something. I actually saw some at the lake here, just south of where we live. Um, we took these kids out tubing one day, and as we're walking down to the dock, I look over and there's six six geese, and every goose has a band on it, and I'm just like, man, yep. that makes me sick. This- and we were actually at a flood response when I worked for that nonprofit um, in St. Louis a couple of years ago when they had really bad flooding in St. Louis. Um, we went and set up mm-hmm. a response station at Six Flags. And as we're pulling into yeah. Six Flags, I look over and I mean, we're like business, like we're there to help people. And as we're pulling yeah. into Six Flags, I look over and there is a goose with two bands and a neck band. And I am like, I'm like, pull over, pull over. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, that goose. And the people I was with had no idea what I was no saying. Idea. It yeah. was like, it was like I was possessed all of a sudden. And I, yeah. I was like, you don't understand. Like I have never seen that before. And it is just standing right there in the median at the entry to six flags. It drove me yeah. crazy. I, uh, one of the feeds last year. So lessers are banded a lot less than big geese. I don't really know why. Um, but they are banded a lot less. And last year, one of my feeds, he had it was double leg banded and had a white with yellow lettering 
neck collar. It said AZ36. I will remember it forever. And we hunted it the next day and never saw him. Oh, my gosh. But he was double leg banded and had the neck band. Um, and like I, when I saw that bird, I was like, I, I was like, I just, I just wish that like, I wish you could rifle hunt for geese. Like I was, I was say, like, man, I, I think, I think the banding has absolutely nothing to do with tracking birds and all it is, it's the conservation's, the conservation department's way of trying to convince you to poach. You know, yeah, I, mean, I know. Like, yeah, yeah. They're like, man, that, how many that guys are just like, man, I've got a two, two, three sitting next to yeah, me in the truck. Like, like, oh, would anybody really know? Yeah, the, that twenty-two long rifle looks really <laughs> nice sitting beside you. But I mean, I would never personally do it, no. but I definitely have thought about it. You know, you're like, man, I wish. Oh like, man, I've seen them in the city parks or like. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. You always see them when you're fishing. It, yep. Like you'll be fishing and there'll be a goose on the side and you're like, man, I could kill that thing with a rock right now. But yeah. in my mind, I'm like, I don't, I've had plenty of opportunities to poach if I wanted to. I, yeah. I had a monster Tom, one of the biggest Toms I've ever seen turkey hunting. And it was three feet from me, but it was on the neighbor's property. And I was like, I'm not going to shoot it. Like, that's just, yeah. I don't want to have to lie in the story when mm-hmm. I'm telling people for yeah. the rest of my like life moral, about this bird. Morally, you feel wrong about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree I, with I just you. couldn't do it. And I'm like, it, it would have to, I don't even know. Even if it was like the most extreme thing, like here you can shoot albino deer. And yeah. I'm like, even if it was a 200-inch albino buck, but it was like... If, if something wasn't right, you know, I had to be illegal yeah. or immoral about it. I just couldn't, yeah. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't live with myself knowing that yeah. I took something the wrong way. Yeah. And, you know, but there's a lot of people who are on the opposite side of that who are like, yeah. you know, I'll just, it I'll doesn't do even it, have to be know? special and they'll do it, you know? Yeah. The, but there is a lot of bad juju with albino deer. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the curse. Man, I've heard, um, I just don't, I don't buy into all that stuff. I'm like, dude. I feel like uh, I know a dude who shot an albino doe in North Carolina like eight years ago and has not shot a deer since. Yeah. I mean, I would almost <laughs> give up a deer for that long just to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't buy into the whole like luck or, or like, Oh yeah. You, yeah. Bad karma or whatever. I'm just like, listen, you go out there and it's going to happen or it's not. And I don't think it's like, the universe is out to get you type of thing. Yeah. And I yeah, have yeah. heard people like, man, there's a spiritual side with albino deer. There's like all of these different myths around albinos. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. it's a pigment deficiency. That's what it is. Yeah. There's a lot like, of people are this like, isn't oh, a albino spirit animal. Deer. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people are like, oh, albino deer come from like unicorns. And I'm like, no, like, <laughs> no. No, it's not I, how that works. I think I think a lot of it's just crazy talk, and I would have yeah. zero hesitation doing it unless this is my only caveat to that is if I'm sitting there and I I see it walk in, and it just takes my breath away to the point where I'm like, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I don't think yeah. I could shoot that right now. You know, yeah. that would be the only reason. It would not be for any like curse or made up yeah like, that ghost is gonna haunt you for the rest of your life type of thing um yeah. well hey we uh we're coming up on an hour now i want to i want to give you a chance before we hop off to share where where people can find you where they can follow you where they could book a hunt uh all that stuff 
Yeah. Um, so you can follow us on social media um, at Silva Waterfowl. We're on Facebook. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. Um, and I'm starting um, to try to do the whole live stream kind of thing. I've never really done it before, um, but I'm kind of getting to that side. Um, you can find us there. Um, our website is silvawaterfowl.com. Um, my phone number is on there. You can call me and you can book a hunt with me. Uh, I am based in central Oklahoma. Uh, if, if I do not charge much, I'm being honest, I'm probably the cheapest guy you're going to find in Oklahoma. Um, I'm doing this just because I love doing it. Um, I was, I just absolutely love doing it right now. Um, but on that website too, you can find my apparel that I just dropped. Uh, I have a brand new, uh, goose t-shirt and hoodie on there and a speckle belly goose t-shirt and hoodie on there. Um, hopefully soon I'll be having some hats and stuff, but, uh, you can go on there and purchase those. If you'd like, there's some really cool stuff on there. Yeah, they're sweet. I, I actually just hopped on the website before we got on the call and it's cool stuff. I like seeing other people's, uh, their t-shirts and hats and like different designs and stuff. Cause yeah. I've still got to figure out how to design mine and what kind of theme yeah. I want to go with. So it, it looks really sweet, man. And I hope you the best luck this year. Um, it sounds like you're going to be hammering the birds here in just a couple of days. So I sure hope I'm jealous, man. I, uh, there's just something different about shooting a big bird versus a dove, you know, yeah, there is, I agree. Um, I'm going to give you the final word here. I call this emptying the chamber. This is your chance to just share one last thing, whatever you want with the listeners. Yeah. Uh, if I can be really honest with y'all, uh, keep the Lord first in your life. Um, God is everything. Um, he taught us that he's the way, the truth and the light. Um, no one goes to the father except through him. So please, uh, please keep God first in your life, man. That's awesome. Super great having you on the show, man. I appreciate it. And we'll, I mean, with us only being a couple hours away, we're going to have to, uh, hook up some time and do a hunt or, uh, maybe Absolutely. I'll, I'll trade you a really crappy farm pond hunt for an awesome, hey. like eight man limit goose hunt. Yeah. How does that sound? I'm down. <laughs> Absolutely. Sounds great. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you. And that is going to wrap it up for us today. I hope you all enjoyed that. I definitely had a good time chatting with Daniel. And what did I tell you about his excitement? The guy loves the outdoors, loves waterfowl hunting. And, I mean, he has got it figured out. How many people can go out and get an eight-bird limit pretty consistently? But I will say he's using the weather, figuring out what's going to make these birds push and move down into his area and I think a lot of people do that but Daniel's doing it on a whole nother level and so I hope I get to go over there and see what shooting an eight bird limit is all about I've never had an eight bird limit aside from doves in my life and so I think Colorado is the closest state I lived to having an eight bird limit but they were only at five and so three more would be sweet anyways I'm ready to get get out there see some feathers fall and I hope you guys are too I hope you guys are having success with whatever hunting you're doing right now. Also, like always, I'm going to throw this out there. If you could, please leave a review and a rating and buy some stickers. That is the best way that you can support this podcast, and I hope you guys are enjoying the content that is coming out. Until next time, though, always choose adventure, and God bless.